Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 8.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. into day two of our worship series for Advent on Love Comes Down. And I want us to listen to the scripture again. It's, it's a classic scripture, right? Because it's going to proclaim to us that God is love, which a lot of people quote. But I want us to have the context in which it is spoken. So our scripture comes from 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 17. Hear these words of God. Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father has sent his Son as the Savior of the world. God abides in those who confess that Jesus is the Son of God and they abide in God. So we have known and believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness on the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. There's a lot of abiding and loving going on in our scripture. And as we delve a little deeper into it, I think that we're going to be surprised to find how God is reorienting us and reshaping our concept of love. Now, most of the time when we say love, people just picture a big old heart and lots of red roses and some really expensive chocolate because we end up moving right into February. But instead, I want us to sit with what love looks like at Christmas. At Christmas, we're not talking about a romantic love. We're not talking about the kind of love that is personified in such classics like Romeo and Juliet in the Twilight series. Instead, we're talking about a kind of love that is, bless you, genderless, ageless. It is not bound by the kind of boxes that humanity puts upon people. It is not limited to people of your same category, whatever that may be. Instead, this is a love that is free-flowing and that goes out and comes back, just like the waves upon a beach. Comes in and crashes into our lives, and it goes out and leaves us with this vacancy where we wait for the next wave. And our desire as Christians is to get to the point where we are forever basking in the waters of everlasting life that Jesus promised to us. Our desire is to move past our own selfish kind of loves 
and instead to embark on a lifetime of love that is divine, a love that transforms and perfects, a love that pushes us past our comfort zone and well into the realm of divinity. We believe in the United Methodist Church by virtue of our patron, St. John Wesley, that God's love can transform and perfect us. We call this the doctrine of Christian perfection, which I have to be careful about because people go, oh, you Methodists, you think you're so perfect. No, that's not what that means. Instead, it means that God's love can work within us to the point that we might actually arrive at a day where we no longer intentionally sin. Not that we won't sin because we're all going to fall short of that glory, but instead that we would give up the inclinations that we have, that we would turn aside from the things that so readily lure us into our own sinfulness and embrace the means of grace and the ways of the divine that Jesus has set forth before us. I do believe that that can happen. I'm not there yet, but I believe that it can be done. In fact, the vow that I took upon the day of my ordination was that I do believe in the perfection and I believe that I am going there, eventually. It's a long trip. I'm still on that path. And I can tell you that John Wesley, as passionately as he believed in that, never claimed it for himself. He never claimed that he had reached Christian perfection. Instead, he could point to other people. He could point to people in his life, like his beloved mother, Susanna Wesley, and say, she has reached that point, and I long to be there too. This is what Christmas is about, reestablishing for ourselves and for the world who we are and what we want to be. Our scripture today reminds us that all things are made possible through love, that there is nothing that love cannot endure or conquer. There is nothing that God's love cannot help to fix in our lives and in our world. Now, I grew up in a church in Northern Virginia that was prolific in mission in Advent and in Christmas time. So we knew that we were going to be involved in things like the angel tree. We knew that we were going to be involved in opportunities to give gifts for Toys for Tots and for those sort of things that go on regularly in Christian communities all over our country. I knew that that was going to happen. But over time, it's like you do all these things in your home and in your church and you never see the next step. You never see where they go. Right? How many times have you brought food to the food pantry, but you've never actually laid eyes on the person that comes and gets it? Instead, we have this barrier, this boundary. And you know what lacks in that barrier? The gap between our giving and the receiving is this lack of relationship. There's a loss in what it means to look at somebody and to see Jesus Christ in them and let them see Jesus Christ reflected in us. In that void, something is profoundly lost to us. Now, I would like to tell you that I have spent the vast majority of my adult life trying to bridge that gap, but that would be totally untrue, and I am standing in God's house. So I have had periods of trying to bridge that gap, and I have had periods of complete self-interest in trying to get my house to look perfect for Christmas. Instead, last year, I had a whole new opportunity. It was one of the rare years in my life where I didn't have anybody coming over for Christmas. My parents were staying at home in Northern Virginia with my sister for Christmas, and my son was going to be with his other side of the family for Christmas. And so it was just going to be me and Clifton, which sounds good, sounds fine, 
sounded manageable, actually, until Clifton and I started talking, and we realized, well, if we were going to make food, we should just make a lot of food, right? That's how that works. And that we should have our friends over, other people who didn't have a place to go for Christmas. Okay, that sounds good. Sounds like it's getting to be more work, but it sounded pretty good. And so as we started to make plans for what Christmas would look like and, and what kind of meal we would have and how we would let people know that they're welcome, Clifton had this brilliant idea. He was working... Um, in the evenings, especially on the weekends, as a security guy in Norfolk, because when you're six foot four, you're like perfect for that job. And so as the security guy for a local restaurant group, he knew a lot of the people in Norfolk, especially this little posh neighborhood of Ghent, where all of the restaurants and, and the art district was. And he also knew a lot of the city's homeless, because they congregated and passed through Ghent. And in his tenure as in security, he had come to know a local homeless man by the name of Chuck. And Chuck was, well, I'm in heels, and I always was. I think Chuck was like this tall. Short little guy, little rough on the edges, little gritty, real grovelly his voice, because I have no doubt that he had emphysema. And he had been in the military during Vietnam. And Chuck suffered from PTSD. And so when I would go visit Clifton on Friday nights, wherever he was working, Chuck would be there. And Chuck was one of these homeless people that had a really interesting way of living. He chose to be homeless. He wasn't mentally disabled or, or significantly mentally ill. He just chose to be homeless. He had a storage unit that he would keep his things at, and he had a membership at the Y where he would go and take his showers, but he chose not to sleep with a roof over his head, and he was adamant about that, that he didn't want to do that. Now, I suspect that his past experiences played deeply into that for Chuck, but he was a gracious man, and he wouldn't let you buy him food. He actually worked side jobs, and he had his own money, and he really wasn't interested in being taken care of being kept. He believed in working and earning what he had, and then that sustained his lifestyle. Now, if you wanted to buy him a drink, he wasn't going to turn that down, but he really didn't want you to overly take care of him. And so Clifton said, why don't we invite Chuck for Christmas? And I thought, sure. I mean, why wouldn't we invite Chuck for Christmas? I mean, he was one of our friends, and a lot of the people that we knew that were going to be coming to our Christmas knew who Chuck was. It sounded like something that we should do. And so we decided that, yes, that we would invite Chuck. And I don't know whether I was surprised or just thankful that Chuck said yes. And so over the course of the time that I had gotten to know Chuck, I had stopped calling him this homeless man. And I started referring to him as my friend who happens to be homeless. Because he was no longer just known by his homeless state to me. He was a human being, and he had dignity, and he had a story and a really good sense of humor. And Chuck had become my friend. And so when we opened up the house to let him come, it wasn't just so that we could have a token homeless man with us. It was because Chuck was indeed our friend. And he came and he looked very dapper. I have no idea where he got that sweater from, but he looked lovely. And he was so gracious and so kind. And 
he had really impeccable manners. I mean, I've had friends that I went to college with who didn't eat that well. And made himself part of this entire celebration. Now, Christmas is a little bit of a big deal to me. I don't know if you know what I do for a living, but it's kind of a big deal. And so when we got there and it was time to pray, I gave thanks for all of these people. And as I looked around my table, most of the people that we had with us were people that either didn't have anywhere else to go or they didn't want to go where they had. They were black sheep in their family. They had been castigated and reprimanded so many times that they didn't want to go be with those people. So they agreed to come and be with us. And in the midst of all of this, and I lived right next door to the church I served, we had Chuck. And that night was so powerful. It was so transforming because I thought that I was going to be Jesus. I thought that I was going to be this wonderful host, that I was going to have these people into my house, and that I was going to give them lots of food and an abundance and show them how loved they were, and they were going to have this encounter, and it was going to bless them, and I was utterly wrong. I thought that I would stand in the place of Jesus that night. Jesus that night came, and my friend, who also happens to be homeless, because Chuck gave me more grace than I deserved. And he honored me by coming to be part of my house that night. It's not often that we have the opportunity to really put our money where our mouth is. You know, the things that we say because we're faithful, it's not often that we get to show people, yeah, I really would be the Good Samaritan. I really would stop when I'm already late for work and help somebody who was beaten and bruised on the side of the road that I didn't know and go and take them over to a Hampton Inn and let them stay on my dime. Most of the time, we say that that would be us. We say that we would never betray Jesus. We would never be the Judas. We would never deny him like Peter. Of course we would be faithful. We also have the benefit of having read the Bible and knowing how that turns out. But here was my opportunity to show somebody radical hospitality, and I thought that I was doing the good thing. I thought I was the good Christian here. I have never been so close to God's grace as when he came into my house, and he accepted my hospitality, and he returned it a hundredfold. And I still get emotional thinking about it. That night, something happened that bonded Chuck and I in a way that is inexplicable. And so on New Year's Day, when I was down at one of the restaurants that Clifton worked at, and my family had come down, and there was Chuck. He sat at our table, and he ate with us once more. And the next month in February, when he collapsed one day on the street and they took him down to Norfolk General Hospital and they put him in the ICU because Chuck was a type 2 diabetic and his kidneys were failing. I got the call to go and see him. And I did because as a pastor, doors are open to me that are closed to other people and I was able to walk right into that ICU. And when I got in there and he had tubes all over him, and he wasn't breathing on his own. He wasn't conscious. My heart 
burst within me. It was torn asunder that someone who had blessed me so incredibly should be found this way. And so I went back to see him in the days that were filled with discussions over whether or not they would take his legs. Days where they discussed whether he would live or whether he would be in nursing care for the rest of his life. And this person that did not want to sleep with a roof over his head, much less tubes in his trachea, was in this horrific state of limbo. And one day as I was coming out, one of my church members was in charge of the nurse's station of the ICU, and she said to me, what are you doing here? And I said, I'm visiting my friend Chuck. And she goes, you know him? I said, yeah, I know Chuck. She goes, he has more visitors than anybody I have ever seen. <laughs> I said, well, he's kind of unofficially the mayor of Ghent, just so you know. And she said, I know people with family that don't have as many people come and see them as he does. That's because when everything else is stripped away, all we have are our relationships. He didn't have a house. He didn't have a car. He probably didn't have a 401k. I doubt the man had a bank account. But what he did have were connections. And he had them in abundance. Because there was no veneer with Chuck. What you saw was what you got. And he said it like it was. And if he liked you, you knew it. And if he didn't, back off. He was so authentic and honest that that actually put people off. But when you're in a position for your career that's about authenticity, it was like honey. I couldn't get enough of somebody who actually lived what he said and was who he claimed to be. And they moved Chuck out of the ICU. They moved him to a nursing care facility that... I wouldn't wish upon my worst enemy. And I visited him there. And he said that he hurt. And he said that he was tired and he was exhausted. And he just wanted to go home. He wanted to go back out onto the streets that he called his home. He wanted to go back out into the life that he knew. And he died there. And so... Less than three months after having this man come into the house that I lived in day in and day out and transform the holiday that I had known for 35 years into something profound, I realized that Christmas is not about giving. It's about being open to receive. Amen. Christmas is about God giving us something new and powerful. God sent that in a homeless man that year. God sent that to me in a package that I never would have opened two years before. And yet it walked right into my home. And it became part of who I am. And there is a picture of Chuck that hangs in the opening hallway of our house. My mother is not a big fan of this picture because uh, he's blowing a kiss and it looks kind of lewd, I'm sure. Um, and he's gritty and it's, he's probably been out for a really nice Friday night. But that was Chuck. And every day when I come in through my house and I see that, I remember that I was honored and privileged and humbled enough to host Jesus one year. 
We are the body of Christ. How often do we host Christ? We host our family, we host our friends, but how often do we really invite Jesus into our homes and break bread with him and let him take away all of our sin and leave instead this profound encounter that will forever mark our lives as redeemed? This is my first Christmas without Chuck, and it is hard. I have, I have woken up on Christmas morning alone. I have worshipped with the body of Christ on Christmas Eve and gotten up to an empty house the next day with no plans to see anyone. And yet, that didn't hurt as much as having that vessel of Christ gone. So open your eyes and your hearts and your minds and see where God will lead you this season. Where is it that God is inviting us to let someone come in, into this building, into our homes, into our lives and our hearts? Because too often we relegate them to the unwanted spaces. Too often we send them somewhere else so that we don't have to see some people. We don't have to hear them. We don't have to be bothered. Christmas is about Christians realizing that the only place to be this season is in the stable. The only place we should be is where the unwanted, the homeless, the night shift where everybody gathers because nobody else wants them. That's where we should be. May that be a lesson for our heads and a call to our hearts as we seek to grow in our love, not only for each other, but for those that the world has already cast off and shunned, just like they would our Lord and our Savior almost 2,000 years ago. We are better than that because God has cleansed us and redeemed us and given us this mighty gift of hospitality. Let us use it. Let us be it. May it be so. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.